Turn in your Bibles, please, to 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9. We continue our study through Samuel. 2 Samuel 9, we'll begin with verse 1. And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodibar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. And may God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Again, our Father, we're thankful for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would come and speak to us, that we would hear the voice of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, and know him and follow him and offer ourselves to him promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Keeping a promise. In the passage before us, King David keeps a promise. He had made many years earlier to his friend, Jonathan. As a result... David showed great kindness and favor to the descendant of Saul, the king who had tried for years to kill him. 
As I was thinking about how to introduce and illustrate this passage and this subject, I thought of a lot of contrasts, but no real comparisons. You think of the War of the Roses or King Richard III, at least according to Shakespeare, and and you have examples of kings eliminating the families of their rivals. And history is rife with examples of heads of state breaking their promises. So after racking my brain, trying to come up with an illustration of a king who kept his promise, I finally ran a Google search, and I ran in a king who kept his promise. I searched for it, and do you know what the results that came back? The entire first page were? 2 Samuel 9, this passage. Apparently, this was the last time in history that a king kept his promise. I got no illustrations for you. So let's just get right to it. First, in this passage, we see the function of the covenant. The function of the covenant. Look at verse one. And David said, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. Now notice, David says, Is there anyone I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David is remembering the promise, the covenant he had made with Jonathan that we read about some time back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now you remember that Jonathan at that time had promised David to warn him if his father, King Saul, was going to attempt to kill him so David could get away. And in the midst of Jonathan's promise to help David, Jonathan said, if I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love from my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. Now according to 2 Samuel 4, 4, Mephibosheth, that's Jonathan's son we read about Here in 2 Samuel 9, he was five years old when Jonathan was killed in the battle. And now he's a grown man. And David made that covenant with Jonathan sometime before Jonathan was killed. So so the point is that a good bit of time has passed, at least a couple decades, since David and Jonathan made this covenant. that when David came to power, he would not wipe out Jonathan's family, but would show them the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the covenant. Decades have passed. 
Moreover, David and Jonathan had made this covenant in private. One of the great public ceremony that everyone witnessed. And there's no indication in the text Mephibosheth was, a, was applying for this. He certainly wasn't looking to call in the favor from David. It's not like Mephibosheth had come to David and said, you made a promise to my daddy, well, now I'm here to cash in on him. No, David decides to send for Mephibosheth because he intends to keep his word made to Jonathan in private decades earlier. You see, the covenant is foundational to David's kingship. Where did it begin? It began when the Lord, you remember, so many years before that had sent Samuel down to Bethlehem to anoint David as the future king. No more than a boy tending his father's sheep. And the Lord was faithful to his promise to David. Why did David survive all those years that King Saul was trying to kill him? God was keeping his promise to David. And then just a couple chapters back, we read of the Lord's covenant he made with David to build him a house, that is, his family line, the house and lineage of David. And that God had made a covenant to put the descendant of David on the throne forever. The reason David is king of Israel is because God made a promise and he kept it. That's really what a covenant boils down to. It's a solemn promise that binds the parties together. God has bound himself to David and he's kept his promise to David. So David is determined to do the same to be a man of his word. Psalm 15 raises the question, who shall dwell on the Lord's holy hill in his tabernacle? That's a way of asking who goes to heaven. And it gives a list of answers and one of them is this, Psalm 15 and verse four, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That's the kind of person who goes to heaven, a person who swears to his own hurt and does not change. In other words, he keeps his promise even if it hurts him. Now, of course, we know only one person has ever fully lived up to those terms. Only one person ever deserved to go to heaven. Jesus Christ. Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus kept his word to his own hurt. 
he kept the covenant to the shedding of his blood to the point of death. Now he did that for us. But if we are in covenant with Jesus, bound to him, he is in us. We are in him. What makes a covenant work is the bond established between the parties to the covenant. And if we are in covenant with Jesus, bound to him, we will inevitably become more like him. We'll be people who keep our promises even when it hurts. This is why God built all human relationships on the foundation of the home. All civilization, according to God's order, is built on the home. And as the home suffers, as we see in our own age, we become increasingly uncivilized. But God established all relationships on the foundation of the home because the home is established in the institution of marriage and at the heart of the institution of marriage is a covenant. Well, the parties to the covenant are bound by its terms for better or worse. For worse is real. We take that vow for better or worse because reality teaches us that for worse is coming at some point. And however it comes, when for worse comes, you need something a whole lot stronger than feelings or hormones to hold it together. You need a covenant. That's the function of the covenant. Secondly, in this passage, we see the blessings of the covenant. Look at verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodibar, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. For I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father and you shall eat at my table always. Now first of all notice David sent for him. It's the first thing David does to begin to keep his covenant with Jonathan. He, he sends for Jonathan's son. And then when he arrives he tells him three things he will do. He says he will show him kindness he will restore to him all the land that belonged to King Saul that was lost when King Saul died and his house fell. And he promises him he'll eat at the king's table always. 
Now look at verse nine. Then the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, all that belonged to Saul and all his house, I have given to your master's grandson, and you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Now he restored to him King Saul's estate. So that's a huge farm But we know that Mephibosheth is lame in both feet. We read in 2 Samuel 4, he was dropped as a small child. Crushed his ankles. He'd been lame ever since. So simply to give him a bunch of land not going to do him a whole lot of good, so he also gives him a gigantic workforce, Zeba, who has 15 sons and 20 servants. This is far more than the bare minimum requirements of the covenant he made with Jonathan. David's not one to send in a minimum payment. He's glad to keep his promise. And it shows. Now Mephibosheth, he's gone from nothing to royal treatment. A wealthy landowner who eats at the palace of the king daily. All because of a promise made between two friends decades before. That's the power of covenant in the scripture. The passage of time and all obstacles have never stopped God from keeping his covenant. That's how Jesus Christ came into the world and finished all the work the Father sent him to do. God kept his word. All that we enjoy in relationship. With Jesus Christ, forgiveness, the adoption of children and the living God. All eternity. It's all because God made a promise. And he kept it. All we receive in the covenant is mercy. All... Mephibosheth received with mercy. Mercy is something you don't deserve. He didn't deserve it. And yet, David had bound himself by his oath to show it. And though it was mercy and kindness that was given to Mephibosheth, it would have been unjust of David not to show him mercy because he bound himself to do it. If we got pure justice from God, we'd get nothing but hell. What we need from God is not justice but mercy, and yet God has bound himself by his covenant to show mercy 
to those who trust Jesus Christ. And so the scripture tells us not that God is faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins in Jesus Christ, but he's faithful and just. To forgive our sins is a merciful act, and yet God has bound himself to do it. And therefore it would be unjust of him not to do it. That's the power of a covenant. God has bound himself to show mercy. So we see the function of the covenant. We see the blessings of the covenant. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see the beneficiary of the covenant. Look at verse 8. And he, that's Mephibosheth, paid homage and said, what is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And you have to love Mephibosheth's response. Who am I that you would do this for me? I'm nothing more than a dead dog. That's the appropriate response of someone blessed in the covenant. Who is this dead dog that you should do all this for me? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? dead dog Saul was David's enemy Mephibosheth was Saul's grandson born into the wrong family born on the wrong side born an enemy and we read he was lame in both feet about three times text tells us he's lame in both feet Other words, there wasn't anything he could do for David in terms of productivity. David stood to gain absolutely nothing from Mephibosheth. He did not bless Mephibosheth in order to get a thing out of him, it was only to keep his promise. Now this is the beneficiary of the covenant. A man born into the enemy family who had no strength to do anything for David. Now turn to Romans chapter 5. Turn to Romans. We'll stop in Romans chapter 5. In the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts and Romans. Romans chapter 5. And look at verse 6. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. 
For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, Romans 5.10, while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We were God's enemies. Born into the wrong family the family of Adam, the sinner, without strength, weak. We could do nothing for him. He stood to gain nothing from showing mercy to us. But he gave his son to die for the sins of his enemies that we would be reconciled to God through him. In Jesus Christ, we're reconciled, bound, to God in the covenant of the blood of Jesus Christ so we could eat at the king's table for all eternity. Do you understand that all you are before God is a dead dog? But we have a God who loves to swear to his own hurt and gave his son to die to save dead dogs. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.